Hey everybody, welcome to the Church of Jubilee podcast. My name is Pastor Jonathan. As you listen to this week's message and as the Lord prepares you in your heart, I pray that you would find that the story in the book of Judges chapter 6 verses 11 through 14 to be one that would bless your heart and that would sow encouragement inside of you. Gideon had a weakness and Gideon's weakness was that he didn't believe in himself. He didn't believe that he was called to do anything. He didn't believe that you know he could come through and he asked for God to give him signs. And in the process, God did give him signs, which is amazing because God pays attention to the details when we pray. But the word of God says that in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that my grace is sufficient for you and his strength is made perfect in weakness. I want to encourage you this week that no matter where you're at along the journey, no matter how much you have had to go through this last week, this last year, um, you know, that you will go through what you're going through right now, in your weaknesses where God's love, where his strength is made perfect, for he is made perfect in your weakness. But if we're not careful, we can be just like the Israelites and Gideon. And we won't believe in ourselves. We won't believe that God could use us, even though he's calling us. But we will need to cry out. And when we cry out to the Lord, the beautiful thing about God is that he will hear us and he will honor our requests according to his will. I pray that this week's message may comfort you, that it would bless you, and that it would encourage you to continue to seek him and to continue to understand and realize that the glory is on our weakness because in our weakness, he is made stronger. Don't forget to share. Let us know that if this is a blessing to you, I pray the Lord will bless you tremendously. Have a great week. God bless you. So I'm going to jump right into the Word of God. I believe the Lord has a message for His church. Whether you are here today or watching from a distance, I believe that God is going to bless you with the Word if you would just open your ears and your heart today. Can you say amen? Let's, let us go to the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Again, that is the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Hallelujah. I thank God because even when I don't feel like it, he's worthy. Amen. Even when I don't feel like giving a shout, even when I don't feel like I'm at my best, God is still at his best. Hallelujah. He's still doing what he does best. Hallelujah. He still is great enough for us. Hallelujah. His grace is still sufficient for us. Hallelujah. Even when we don't feel it at times. And I believe that I'm going to get into this right now. And I need you to listen because there is something good that God wants you to take away. The book of Judges chapter 6, we have it up awesome. Verses 11 through 14 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the timbranth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Josiah the Esberite, Joash, I'm sorry, Joash the Esberite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13 says, Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles, his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not I, the Lord, bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. 
Verse 14 says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I've entitled today's message, Gideon's Weakness. Hallelujah. You may have your seats giving glory to God. I want to give you some background right now in this moment. In this part of scripture, here's what's been happening. Israel, who we know as God's people, can you say amen to that? All right. They have been under oppression from this fierce nation known as the Midianites. Okay. These Midianites are a fierce army. They're, they're just, they're brutal like most of the armies that Israel came against in the Old Testament. And for seven years, for the last seven years, every time that they had a harvest, the Israelites had a harvest, these Midianites would come and destroy their harvest. They would come. Think about that for a moment. They would be sowing and they would wait for the moment they would be able to feed themselves and their families. And right as soon as the harvest was plentiful, these Midianites would show up and destroy their crops. And they would do this because... They were, Israel was considered their enemy and they were bigger and powerful than Israel. So, you know, this kind of, this kept Israel in a state of poverty, which is interesting because how can God's people, those who are called by, by God, those who are called for God, how can they live in poverty? Can you say amen? So here's what happens as always, as it always happens in the Old Testament. These Israelites realize that they're under this oppression and they get tired of being under oppression. So they begin to cry out to the Lord. They begin to cry out and, and, and they begin to put it all on the table and say, God, save us. Sounds familiar, right? For when Joshua had to deliver them and, you know, the story of Moses and, and all of that. Well, the people cry out. And here's the beautiful thing about it. God responds with a plan. He responds with a plan named Gideon. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Gideon um, because it's interesting to understand this man's life and where he was from and how he came from nowhere to get to somewhere. Hallelujah. How he came from a place of weakness and, and a place where he didn't feel like he was anything. But God said, I still see you. How powerful was that? So this oppression has called Israel to do the one thing that most people do when they get in that moment where they're not feeling their best, when they don't feel like doing it, when they're caught up in, you know, in a poverty of mind, of state, and, 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 and they begin to neglect honoring God. They begin to neglect Him. They begin to live a, a different way than God has commanded. They live in a different, uh, you know, they begin to believe and they begin to worship idols and they begin to do everything that God says don't do. Sound familiar? Hallelujah. And even though God had done so much for them he, to deliver them out of Egypt, they still continue to go back to their ways. And I always wondered, I'm like, God, why is it that they always go back? Why is it that you've given, you've given us everything that we need? You've given us breath. You've given us life. You've given us a job. You've given us what we've asked you for. You've given us the Holy Spirit that has been able to bless our lives and guide us. Hallelujah. You've left us your spirit. You've left us your love. But yet we want to return sometimes. Back to the lonely stage. Back to the place of desperation. Back to, back to where there's nothing there. Back to where the harvest is not plenty at all. Where you can barely find fruit. 
And here's what the Israelites would do. And I want you to relate this to your life. Listen to me. Because when the times were good, they forgot about God. They would forget about him. They would not honor him. They would not, they would not say, thank you, Jesus. They would not say, you know, anything. All they would do was continue on their path and keep doing the stuff that they weren't supposed to do. But then every time that there was a judge that the Lord, because the Lord would appoint judges in that time. And every time there was a judge, they lived righteously. They lived for God. So every time that, that, they were, that these times were good, they would forget God and they would do evil in the sight. And if you ever read the Old, the New Old Testament, you'll, you'll see the first part of the chapters of many kings that left sons. And it said, so-and-so did evil more than this person, more than that person. Then the next generation came around. So-and-so did evil then more than that person and that person put together. And then the last person comes around, they're like, so-and-so did more evil than this, 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 and that person. And God detested that. But the Israelites were in an interesting state because when times were going good, they didn't have a need for a God. But when times were bad, when times weren't going well, oh man, they cried out. Man, they knew how to cry out. And you would think that the Lord would be like us in some way and say, man, you don't deserve that. Nah, forget it. You know what, man? You gave up your chance a while ago. Nah, I ain't going to do that. Nah, you know, you would think that he would be like us. But he wouldn't. He would hear their cry. Like each time, like the boy who cries wolf, he would hear the cry every single time. And he would answer. But every time a judge lived and governed, Israel seemed to be on the right path. In other words, every time they had a shepherd, every time they had a representative of God in the midst, they were doing good. But the moment that judge would pass away due to old age or whatever the case may be, then they would turn evil. They would start doing evil stuff. They would start like, hey, bring out the stuff that we used to do that God doesn't like. Who cares? Bring it out anyways. No one's here to judge us. So when the judge died, they would begin to go the opposite and dishonor God with their life. And, they, and Israel began to lose their way. And the word of God says that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Hallelujah. Prior to Gideon, Israel was back and forth with the Lord. If you continue reading from the point of, uh, you know, the Genesis through the, all the way through Judges, you're going to keep finding a pattern. Israel gets the blessings. They don't have a need for God. Israel gets too used to the blessings. All of a sudden, God has to get their attention. So he allows oppression to come on them. Then these armies come back and they just start beating up on them and taking away stuff. And then they repent. So most of the time, the Israelites spent time crying out to God to save them from what they had gotten themselves into. And I could only think for a moment, I said, man, God, you know, sometimes we can be like the Israelites. Sometimes we can, you know, when God is blessing us, we're like a hallelujah high in the sky. And man, I've been, God is good and he's doing all this. But we're in the low points in our valley, hallelujah. It, it, it really starts waking us up to who we really are. Who do we really serve in those weak moments? Hallelujah. Because Gideon had weaknesses and we'll go into it. But the most important thing is that we got to be careful that we're not too much like Israel. That when things are going good and my life is great and we're blessed that we forget that he gave it to us. 
We are to be grateful. We are to be thankful. We are to come into his presence with the heart of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. The last thing we need to do is forget that he is the one that lives for, you know, has given us everything and he lives. Can you say amen? Our first action is not to continue going back to where God has brought us out from. Because God wants to deliver you from a place, but he doesn't want to deliver you only so that you could go back. And that happens at many stages in our life. I think that, we, you know, we've all been down that road. We've all encountered where, you know, God has taken care of us on certain things or he's delivered us from certain things. And, and we have that tendency to want to go back to it. Because it's more comfortable. Because it's more familiar. But we have to learn from Israel's mistakes. We have to learn that if we walk by faith, if we walk with Christ, then there's not a need for the other stuff. Can you say amen to that? And here's another thing that Brother Abram and I have been talking a lot about. Our generations, our future generations. We have to pass the torch to them. There's going to come a time when the torch will be passed. But they need to know that Jesus lives in us. They need to see uh, you know, us and, and know that we operate in the great things of the Lord. And that when times get tough, we go to God. And when times are great, we go to God. And we begin to pray to God. And we begin to give Him all the honor and glory. That no matter what we go through, we give Him glory. This is what our generations need to see. They need to see a resilient generation that was before them. Hallelujah. A resilient foundation that comes back and says, look, no matter what, I will serve the Lord that my God with all my heart. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart. I will live to please him. I I want to please him. I want to spend time with him. I want to get to know him. Can you say amen? Amen. Because the reality is, is it is our love for him that keeps us from doing evil. Sure, we could be doing a lot of things that we don't need to be doing. It's that simple. We have our free will, right? We have our own choice. But why don't we do it? Because we love him. And the great thing about it is this, this God loves us back. Amen? Because we love him because he first loved. Can you say amen to that? Because the reality is, is he loved us at our weakest moment. He loved us at our failure. He he loved us at a point in our lives where we probably had nothing else to do. And if you're still young, you'll begin to understand by looking at some of our, your your, your, uh, family's past history, that God has continued to show love. And let me give you an example. There's a man named Gideon. And before you think, like, man, Gideon was awesome. He was a warrior for God. He was a judge. But he found, God found Gideon at a time when Gideon could even find himself. Gideon was hiding, trying to scavenge and work a, a small little area that he had because he didn't want the Midianites to get to it. So Gideon is the one that's chosen, and the Lord sends an, you know, an angel of the Lord to him. And you know what his response is? Kind of like, me? You're choosing me to deliver your nation? 
And then, he's, and then he, you know, he goes into this speech when I was like, man, you know, it sounds just like us because listen to what he says. And I think we would be just the same way. He says, oh, yeah, huh? you, you're calling me, right? Well, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is so good, why am I suffering? If God is so good, why do I continue to struggle? If God is so good, why haven't I received my miracle? If God is so good, why don't I get blessed with what I get blessed with? That I'm seeking and wanting. Would you not answer like that? I'm sure we've all had our prayer moments. Amen. Where we just got real with God. And he says, where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? And then he says to the Lord, the Lord has forsaken us, meaning he's forgotten about us, meaning that he doesn't care about us. He's forgotten us. He's forsaken us. And he's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites is, what's, is what Gideon is saying. So you see this character, this judge named Gideon, and you see him in a moment where he's like, you know, he's really in a tough situation because he's experiencing what it feels like to be human. He's experiencing what it feels like to, to be vulnerable, hallelujah, to be powerless, hallelujah. And his self-esteem is like completely beat down, by the way. You have to see it in his words. He, he doesn't even believe that he could be anything. And then Gideon looks at his clan and God says, it's going to be your people. Get some people, your clan. You know, I want your clan to do it. And he says, you know, what? Like my clan, like we're the weakest of the weak, God. You can't use us. We have nothing to give you. We're not warriors. We don't do much. We're just here. I'm just bare, I'm running away from something in my life already as it is. I don't, I'm trying to avoid persecution. And you want to put me on the front line? See, Gideon had weaknesses. But before you say, man, Gideon was a chump. We have weaknesses. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes. So here's the cool thing about Gideon. This is a point that I want you to take away that, I, that he does that I, I really love because God shows his faithfulness. Gideon is not content with just saying, oh, sure thing, I'll go do it. He says, okay, if you want me to go, I need some signs. I need a sign that it's you that's telling me to go do this. And the way I'm going gonna, gonna to know is if I'm going to go do some stuff. I'm going to go out there and get a young goat. And I'm going to kill it and sacrifice it. And, and your presence is still going to be here. So when I come back, you're going to be here and you're still going to talk to me. And God is so amazing that he does it. He does it three times over the next passage of scripture. He does it for a total of three times. And, he, and every time that Gideon says, God, show me a sign, God meets him at his need in that sign. Hallelujah. And it reminds me so much of us. Man, we want the stars to align. We want to see the moon, you know, turn to a different color and the, and the sun to be clouded one day to see a sign. And we're asking God for signs and all that. But do we really trust him? To know that if he gives us a sign, we would believe him the first time. Or do we say, no, 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 give us another sign, God. Okay, that one was good. Yeah. Man, you're good, God. I need another sign, though. And I need another sign, God. Instead of just saying, I trust you. You gave me the sign. It's there. I'll, I'll take it, God. I'll walk out. 
The crazy thing was that as if one sign wasn't enough for God, you know, I'm, for, I'm sorry, for Gideon, he, he asked for two more and God honors it. And I want to express to you that, that God will honor what you ask of him. If it's done in his will. And you want to talk about a God, hallelujah, that doesn't have to respond to him, but he chooses to. God didn't have to respond to Gideon. He didn't have to. He could have been like, okay, you know what? <laughs> yeah, dude, you definitely are too weak. Your mind is nowhere strong where I need it. Step aside. I'm going to bring someone else. Is there any other Joshua's out there? Okay, I'm about to use them, you know. He didn't, though. He met Gideon in his weakest moment, hallelujah. He met Gideon at his weakest point in his life, at his need, and said, guess what? Who shows up today? Your almighty God. Guess who's showing up today to remind you that you, you thought you were nothing, but you're something to me. And I will honor your request and I will listen to you. And if you cry out to me, I will answer you. And if you ask me for a sign, I will gladly give it to you. And the Lord honors each request, which is pretty amazing. Because most of us would have been like, dude, that first request, I'm not going to give you another one. I already gave you a sign. I already told you already. No, you already know. My presence is great enough for you. But the crazy thing about it is that Gideon didn't even believe in himself. Like some of us. And those of you who are watching, this is for you as well. There are some things in life that we don't think we were capable of doing for the Lord. Some things in life that we limit ourselves because we see ourselves as weak persons. We see ourselves as, you know, weak uh, in, in the in the spirit and 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 we come and we don't we come to God and we say God I mean I want to be used but you don't have to use me because I'm not like the perfect person I'm not that you no know, that guy that's gonna be like that other dude over there I, I just can't do it God and we begin to take on Gideon's weakness but the beautiful thing about the Lord is what you must understand is that he doesn't look at your human ability to accomplish anything that he needs to do. He sees a heart that is willing. He sees a heart that is hungry. And he says, I'll meet you at your point. Wherever you are at, just give it to me in that moment. Let me begin to work in you, Gideon. Let me begin to take out the weakness. Hallelujah. For the word of God says that his strength is made perfect in weakness. His power. I hope you're getting it. Because if you're waiting for you to be a doctorate degreed preacher, pastor, singer, have all the certifications, you're going to be waiting for a while. Because God doesn't look at the things that we look at. He looks at the heart. And he says, are they willing to trust me? Are they willing to let go of the reins in their life so that I could have, uh, you know, the ability to bless them and direct them? Hallelujah. He's looking for hearts that trust him, that love him, that are willing to take a risk with him, that are willing to step out and say, you know, this is the craziest thing I did for the Lord, but I'm going to do it. And I have to ask you, where were you when God found you or pulled you out of some place?
And then I want to ask, where are you now that God has been asking you to come to him? I have to remind you that Gideon did not believe in his army. He didn't believe in himself. He was a, he was a doubter of anything. But let me give you a scripture because this is powerful. And I, I would like for you to write this scripture down or highlight it. Because in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9. Can you pull that up, Brother Andrew? The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9. He says this. This is the apostle speaking. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength... God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Hallelujah. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast about my, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His strength is made perfect in weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. His, his strength is strengthened when you are at your weakest. His strength is made perfect when you don't even believe in yourself. When you feel you don't have a chance. When you're throwing in the towel. His strength is made perfect. Gideon wasn't strong because he believed that he was strong. He, was believe, he believed that he was at his weakest moment where God became the strength that he needed. Hallelujah. The Lord begins to work when you aren't feeling your best. Hallelujah. When you are at your worst, he is glorified because he, it is a sense of you letting go of the reins and letting God take control. Hallelujah. The best part about being at the rock bottom, hallelujah, is that you only have one way to look and that is up to Christ. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're going through if you're watching. I don't know what you're going through in this moment. There are some of you who don't believe in yourselves or maybe don't believe you have a chance hallelujah but God says in the word of God that his strength is made perfect in weakness Amen. so when I'm at my weakest moment I don't want to just lift my hands in church today or I feel like I'm about to pass out some days I know that God is strength God's strength is made perfect Amen. that in somewhere in my spirit there is a strength that God is giving and here's the end of Gideon's story in the chapter, it takes, he has 32,000 of his men, okay? Listen to this. He has 32,000 men, 32,000 men that, are, that he's going to take with them, and, and, you know, and they're all ready to fight, supposedly. And then God begins to tell Gideon, out of those 32,000, you're going to know which ones are the true warriors. And give them a choice, because ask them if they're scared, or if, they, if they're scared or they want to go back home, they will. And the ones that go to the, to the river and they lap the water like a dog, you'll set those aside. And the other ones that go and drink like a dog, like straight up just put their face in the water, you'll separate those people. So 300 people in the end stayed with Gideon and drank the way, like the proper way. From 32,000 people. They were reduced to 300 to take on an army that had thousands and thousands of people. Of thousands and thousands of men, I'm sorry. So if you think about that, you're like, man, that's kind of like unfair that 
Gideon would take 300 men and go take on an army that has like probably like 50,000 people of warriors and soldiers. But what do we say right now? That his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So here's the end of the story on this. Gideon, the Lord allows Gideon the victory. He gives him the victory of 300 men. And, and the crazy thing about it is that they don't even really, they don't really even fight. He, he convinces in the middle of the night, them to, he convinces Gideon to do something with his army. And they make a bunch of sounds and they make all this stuff. And these, this army, this army that was, they were going against actually gets confused, wakes up and starts killing each other. <laughs> he uses the enemy's own army to take out the, themselves hallelujah how great of a god do you serve amen can you give him a round of applause because he's worthy of that how great of a god do you serve let's just be real you know he causes the is of the enemies to fight against each other So you're probably thinking, man, Gideon's a cool guy, man. I like Gideon. I, I want to be like Gideon, right? You're probably thinking that. Maybe, maybe not. But Gideon had weaknesses. Sounds like he had an identity problem too. And he was running scared. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. When Gideon gets the victory, you would think, right? Listen to, remember what we talked about at the beginning of the Israelites? How they would, you know, when they had things going great and it was awesome, they would forget God. They would forget that they had a God and they would go do evil on the side of the Lord. Well, Gideon, the people are like, hey, Gideon, we want you to rule over us, you and your son, your grandchildren, and rule over us and be our, like, be our king kind of thing. And he's like, nah, nah, the Lord is going to rule over you guys. Pretty honorable, right? You're like, cool, that's awesome. But then Gideon goes south. Instead of giving glory to God and saying, the Lord has granted us the victory or, you know, like the other uh, uh, prophets did in the Old Testament, they would honor God and give him something and they would just bless his name and get people to go to him. Gideon doesn't. Gideon says, you know what, um, Lord is going to rule over y'all guys, but um, here's what I will, here's what I want from you guys. I want you to make me an ephod, an ephod, a, a nice garment, a priestly garment, and I want you to put like the awesome uh, jewels and all that make it look awesome and he makes an ephod and it was made of precious stones but here's the thing he was at his good moment and he forgot about God and the same thing that he was self-exalting himself with like setting because he put this in a city by the way he put this in the middle of the city the same thing that what should have been a blessing for him became a snare for him, a curse. Because the Israelites began to worship that. I'm like, wow. From a victory to something like that. And if you would think that, okay, that's just something small. Get this. Gideon had 70 sons. 70 sons, no woman can produce 70 kids, okay? So you know Gideon was sleeping around, <laughs> right? 70 sons. I mean, gosh, maybe seven women at 10 kids each? I don't know, right? Who knows? And then, oh, plus one by a concubine, right? And then here's the problem. 
Gideon's, after Gideon dies, the concubine's son, concubine's son kills all but one of the half-brothers. But here's the point of that. If you thought Gideon was awesome because he did some, he forgot in this greatest moment. When God gives you the victory, when God gives you what he, the, the blessing that you've been asking for, it's important that we do not stray away from him. It's important that we don't say we don't need him anymore. It's important that we don't say, well, this, this job is because I earned this or because I did this or I bought that car or I did this. or uh, you know, It's important that we give glory to God where it belongs. Because if we don't, it becomes idolatry. It becomes like Gideon's situation where a great man of God didn't believe in himself. You know, God used tremendously to bring his, his people out of, of captivity and oppression. And then he ends up, instead of giving the glory back to God, he forgets that he has a God. And he doesn't give glory to God. And then he begins to fall away and he goes south. And then he's having all these kids everywhere. So it doesn't sound like a happy ending to a story and to a man who started out so well. Can you say amen to that? But here's what I would give to you. Here's how it relates to what, what you and I go through on a daily basis. Many of us live in spiritual poverty. Okay, this could be for you out there. This could be for you today here sitting. I don't know your individual situation, but we live in a spiritual poverty. Because we have placed ourselves in that situation by the way we live for the Lord. By the way we have a walk with Christ. And before I go into more detail, let me give you an analogy. I'll give you something. Our vehicles, a car, truck, are considered assets. Valuable, right? Valuable, we treasure these materialistic important needs because bottom line, we need them. We can't go, I wouldn't be here today at church if I didn't have a vehicle. Right? I'd be doing it for my home or something like that. We care for them with the utmost care. We, we, we take care of them. We, they have value to us. Right? And then if you're like me and Brother Abram, we take our cars to the car wash quite a bit. Because we like our cars to be nice and clean. Are you with me? And then when we go to the stores, we're careful not to park too close to people because we don't want to get any dents. And then we, if you're me, I park like a mile away so I don't get scratches on my truck or my car. Right? But whether old or new, it's still valuable to you. And you take care of it. Hallelujah. You insure it. You're careful not to wreck it. You don't just give your car to somebody and say, hey, take my car, man. Take it for a cruise unless you're trusted. It's just as important because even though the outside may look clean as well, we also take care of the inside. We vacuum it. We take it for oil changes, right? We want it to smell good. And if you're wondering and you're thinking like, what in the world does it have to do with anything? Here's the analogy. Here's what it's talking about. What I'm trying to get at is that we, at the same time, if we can take care of our vehicles in a condition like that, if we can take care of our, our, our cars and our assets at that point, hallelujah, why can't we take care of our spiritual walk with God like that? 
Why can't we take the extra care to say, God, I'm going to be careful that, you know, I avoid being the situation that would cause me to sin against you, that would cause me to just, you know, um, not bring honor to you today. God, I want to make sure that I'm cleanly, you know, daily washing. Hallelujah. I want to speak to you and get to know you more. I want my, you know, my soul to be uh, clean inside because I'm spending time with you. I want to care for you because I know that you are the ultimate insurance. I want to take care of my spiritual walk with Christ because I want it to be, I want it to look good and feel good about myself and know that what I'm doing every day for the Lord is not in vain. Can you say amen? Think about your walk with Christ being that vehicle I was giving you the analogy of. Think about that just for a moment. Your car washes the Lord. As cheesy as that sounds, get your car washed. Stay washed. Stay clean. Walk daily with God is what I'm trying to say. Avoid scratches, a.k.a. known as temptations. Park far away from those, right? Brother, what happens to a car when you don't maintain it? Breaks down. We have to be careful that we're not lacking maintenance in that. Our spiritual walk consists of talking to God daily and involving Him in our lives and our decisions and what we go through and what we think and and, and spending time to know His Word because His Word is what's going to tell us what's right and wrong. And then you begin to uh, spend time in in prayer with Him and and as you pray with Him, you begin to understand Him more and you begin to love Him more and you begin to feel His love. But if you're not maintaining that, you're you're pretty messed up. Don't end up in the junkyard. Because you were never designed to be that person. I came across this scripture and I got to share it with you. Because it was super awesome for me. It was super impactful. You've already heard this, but I'll read it to you again. 2 Peter 3.9, different from earlier, says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting every, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If, if it were up to you and I, we would already have lost this battle. We would have thrown anybody and everybody in a fire. But our God does not like that. And this is what he, we have to understand how it relates to Gideon and the vehicle analogy and everything that I'm giving you. God is patient. Because he says, I'm waiting on you. Gideon, really? Three signs? Okay. I'm going to be here. I'm going to outweigh you because I'm not quick to say, oh, man, I'm leaving you. I'm, I'm slow to that. I'm patient with you. I'm waiting for you to, meet, to, for you to understand that I want to meet you at your, at your moment when you need that repentance. Hallelujah. That, that forgiveness. I'm there with you. The Lord is quick to forgive, and he's quick to forget a repentant heart. Like when her heart is repenting, the sins that they have done, he's quick to forget. 
He's quick to forgive, but he's also quick to forget whatever it was that was back there. Brother Abram, can you give me a hand over here? If you're still wondering, what does this mean for me? What is, how does this impact me? What is this supposed to do for me? It's simple. Walk with God daily. When he blesses you, give him honor. When you don't believe in yourself and you think you're nobody and you think that you failed and you've messed up and that you have no chance, let God meet you at that weakness. And just like with a vehicle, you take care of it, you wash it. Take that same approach with your spiritual walk. Because the reality is, is that he doesn't want you to perish, but to come to repentance. In other words, he doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be at the feet of his, of his, of his feet. In his presence, asking, saying, God, I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. I've been struggling with it for a while, but I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to give it to you, God. He is patient with you. I just thought that was so impactful when it said that he is patient. I was like, God, how many times do I go against your will? How many times have I just blown it? <laughs> I had a chance to speak to somebody or something, and I just was the horrible example. How many times when I should have loved somebody, I stoned them? How many times have you said you had called me to greatness, but I doubted you? How many times when you asked me to pray for somebody, I said, I'll pray for them and didn't pray for them or thought, yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen because they're pretty serious. But he's patient with us. I was like, God, you're like, that is so powerful. You're patient with us. And then you don't want any of us to perish. Because hell was not for Christians. It wasn't designed for them. It was for the devil and his demons. But the Lord loves us. And his love is everlasting. And this is what Gideon was telling the Lord. He was trying to remind him. He was trying to say, why did you leave us in the first place? Why do we struggle with that? Why do I have to go through this? If you, I remember the stories of my dad saying of the miracles that you had done and the great things. Then where are you today? Why are we in this situation? And Gideon was just being in his flesh, experiencing weakness. But the Lord was patient with him. He answered him and he used him greatly. And even though Gideon took a turn for the south at the end, the Lord still honored and was made perfect in his weakness. Let us stand.